My name is David Erickson. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community Church. It's a real honor to bring you God's Word this morning. We are in our uh, study of 2 Timothy. Today we're in chapter 2. So if you could turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to do a bit of a close read of the passage, so you'll want to follow along. So I've really been enjoying these outdoor services, uh, especially for months of not meeting. Uh, it's really good to be back together again. And uh, it's, really, it's wonderful that we can uh, stream these services as well. For those who are uh, watching online, it's great to have you a part of our, our, uh, our body. When we first started meeting, uh, my wife and I were not here for the first time out, uh, outside. Uh, we were taking our youngest daughter, Anya, to college. Uh, and that meant uh, driving to Texas. She's a student there at uh, Abilene Christian University, uh, ACU. And it was right about uh, that time that I was starting to think about the passage, read, the pas- read, read our passage today. And I saw some parallels between our trip out to Texas and what Paul is teaching in this passage. So uh, to, to get our daughter to college, there's a, a, several aspects. First, there was a destination. We're going to get her off to ACU. To, and it was something that she was looking forward to, especially after months of you know, COVID cancellations. Seniors in high school had how many things canceled on them. So it was really something we were anticip- she was anticipating, we were anticipating it. Uh, there was the road ahead. We were going to drive out there. So that's 1,200 miles of desert driving. You know, Arizona, New Mexico, not to mention, you know, uh, I think it was like six hours of West Texas. Uh, so we, we had, uh, we had a, a long trip ahead of us. Uh, we needed to think about our power source, like what was going to fuel us to get out there. A lot of gas in the Camry for sure. But, uh, uh, you know, stopping for burritos and uh, lots of Starbucks along the way. We had a good time. But then a fourth thing was that there were certain dangers that we had to keep in mind. I think as the dad, I had them especially in mind. We drove through a lightning storm. There were some high winds. Uh, it's like baking hot out there in the desert for sure. But the main uh, danger I was concerned about was falling asleep at the wheel, right? We have like 18 hours of driving to do. <clears throat> I'm going to be driving. My daughter's going to be driving. Whatever, we cannot fall asleep at the wheel. So that was very much on my mind. So in a similar way, the older, wiser Paul is giving Timothy instruction about how to continue in pastoral ministry. So it's, it's the ministry of the gospel, and, and we regular Christians, ordinary Christians, are no different. We also have a ministry of the gospel, building God's kingdom, uh, you know, glorifying God in our short time here uh, in this life. Paul sees his journey is nearing completion. He even says in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So he sees the end right in front of him, but Timothy is somewhere in the middle. Uh, he's had, he can look back and see uh, things that have uh, blessed him in the past, his grandmother, his mother, those that have uh, you know, uh, brought him to faith as well as got him in ministry, but he also has some challenges he's already seen. We saw last week, there was some, um, uh, everyone in Asia uh, had abandoned him, uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes. And uh, next week, we're going to see how there were some heretics in the midst that were denying the resurrection, falling, in, falling into unbelief. So these are guys to steer clear of. So in our passage today, we see a series of exhortations from Paul to Timothy to keep going on the right path. And just like my trip to Texas, I think there's four aspects that will help us understand it. Uh, first is, what's the destination? Timothy, where are you going? What's the goal here? The second thing is, what's the road ahead? What kind of journey is it? What should you be prepared for? And then what's your power source? How are you going to get down that road? And then finally, what are the dangers? 
What should you be wary of? So, kids, I, uh, Hannah, you're right in front here. Good to see you here. For all the kids, I'll speak to Hannah. Hannah used to be in our Sunday school class. So I believe, is, is, uh, is, Hannah, is Mrs. Sedano still doing the, the contest? Okay, good. She is. She is. I did two, but I won. Okay. But, okay, you, but, but you did win one. You have a chance to win again, and all the kids have a chance to win. You can draw a picture of what you see, of what you hear in today's sermon. And this passage is especially good for you because the Apostle Paul, when he was writing, he came up with three images or pictures of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. So when we get there, you listen up and draw one of those and you submit it and maybe you'll win or maybe one of the other kids will win and that'd be a good thing too, right? Yeah? Okay. All right. So let's, uh, let's begin by reading the passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let me open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. Uh, Lord, we see it. I mean, just immediately we see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ given for us and an encouragement to us to keep on going. Lord, we pray that you would make these, uh, give, us in, give us insight, give us wisdom to know how to apply this to our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we're... Uh, we're going we're gonna to just work through the passage from the top to the bottom, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, he starts off, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's first exhortation to Timothy is to be strengthened. So this is the power source. How are you going to get to the destination? And the answer is, it's the grace. It's going to come from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's going to give you strength. And notice he doesn't tell Timothy to be strong to somehow you know, dig into your own inner grit, uh, your own in, uh, determination. It's a passive verb to be strengthened. That means the strength is coming from some external source. It's not coming from Timothy. It's coming from Christ Jesus. And Paul's difficulties in life have taught him this lesson. We know in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, it's only when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Or in Philippians, he says, I've learned the secret of dealing with any kind of hardship. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus gives us strength by giving us grace. He gives us love that we don't deserve. Uh, he forgives our sins that are inexcusable. 
He adopts us into his family when we're outcasts. And those, that grace has the ability to make a person strong. It's a, different, it's a different strength than how the world measures strength. But then again, we're going for different goals than what the world is going for. And then he goes on and says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul tells Timothy to be outward focused, to see himself as part of the larger family of God. We're never given strength just for ourselves. Uh, we're, we're made strong in order to be a blessing to those around us. And Paul, is, Paul has done this. Paul's been faithful to Timothy. He's built into him. Uh, he's entrusted him with sound doctrine. He showed him an example of what faithful living is like. Now Timothy needs to do, turn around and he's, he should be grateful for what he's been given, but he needs to turn around and now bless others to entrust that faith uh, to, the, to leaders that he can raise up to do the same. And this is something that each one of us can apply. Uh, for those of you that were at our Lord's Supper service last Sunday night, I thought we saw just a, a real great example of that, didn't we? We had 35 new members join our church. As part of a tradition of joining our church, they, they all line up here and we pass the microphone and everyone gets to say, who was it that was instrumental in bringing you to Christ or helping you to grow? And we just heard one short testimony after another. It was a parent. It was a friend. It, it could have been a pastor, but it was just any number of people that built into uh, their lives and helped them walk with Christ. And we have the ability to do the same. Uh, someone has built into our lives, now let's turn around and build into others' lives. So we should make that our goal. So in the first two verses, we see those two exhortations, be strengthened by grace and then turn around and entrust it to others. But in the third verse, Paul brings up a new idea. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So now Paul is talking about the road ahead. Paul's been on the journey for a lifetime. He knows what's coming. And that is suffering. It's a hard road. Paul's already suffered, and he exhorts Timothy to share in it. Don't run from it. Don't hope or expect that you can somehow dodge it. Instead, you need to embrace it, Timothy. Share in suffering. And this suffering can happen in a lot of ways. It could be outright persecution because of your faith. Later in the book, Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It could also be some type of loss, giving up a chance at worldly pleasure, uh, especially painful when you see it seems like everyone else around you is enjoying it, but not you. Or it could simply be enduring the effects of, we live in a fallen world. Uh, disease, sickness comes and strikes us down. And in all that, we're called to be faithful to God, to not uh, be bitter, to not lose faith. The suffering is not a good in itself, but as a Christian, it always comes with a purpose and with some greater good that carries you through. And so to help Timothy see this, Paul uses three analogies or images. He picks three characters in normal life that Timothy would have immediately recognized, and he finds parallels. Just like I can find parallels, you know, driving to Texas. He sees, okay, look at this, and this will help you understand. So kids, this is where we have the three images. We have the soldier, we have the athlete, and then the farmer. And listen to what Paul has to say about each one. It teaches us what it means to live the Christian life. All right, first, the soldier. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
So Timothy is to think of himself as a soldier enlisted by Christ Jesus, solely focused on pleasing him. And to be that good soldier, you can't get mixed up in civilian pursuits. So it's, it's not that you can't, uh, you have nothing to do with civilian things, right? You still need, you, have, you still have to, you have to have clothes, you have to have a place to live. Uh, when you're not deployed, you got to go grocery shopping. Uh, you, you live a normal life. But when the, when the command comes in, when the order comes, you're able to drop everything and go live in a tent, eat MREs, do whatever you need to do in order to please your commanding officer. So the world around us is entangled with the things of the world. Uh, planning exotic vacations, renovating your house, your already luxurious house, you know, renovating it again, uh, buying nicer cars. It's not that uh, vacations and houses and cars are inherently bad, but we're, not call we're called to be not so wrapped up in them that we can't drop them in any moment because there's kingdom work to do. So how do you know if you're using something, being a good steward, or if you're entangled? Uh, how do you discern this? Uh, I think there's a lot of ways that we can uh, apply this. Let me suggest one possible way. Uh, if you wonder, if, am I really entangled by these things? Uh, find some way to let them go. Uh, let something go for a time and then be discerning what goes on in your heart. How much did this civilian pursuit really have a grip on my life? And, and in letting it go, what, uh, what opportunity for uh, service or kindness or generosity did it open up? And then ask God for wisdom and discernment before you pick it back up again. Ask, you know, ask God, God, help me to be a good steward of the blessings you've given me because he has blessed us greatly. All right, the, the second picture Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So athletics in the ancient world, other than the, you know, ESPN and the great commercialization, it wasn't essentially uh, different. There was competition, people enjoyed it, and in order for a competition to be worthwhile, to be, uh, it had to be fair. You needed people to follow the rules. If anyone cheats, whether it's uh, steroids or you know, not counting your penalty strokes or whatever it is, it kind of spoils the game for everyone. Paul's telling Timothy that he should not cheat. If you want the crown, don't take a shortcut on the rules. So, and in the context here, context is very important. What, rules, uh, what rule or rules is, uh, uh, is Paul referring to? I think the rule is to share in suffering. That's the course that God has set before us. So how might we be tempted to cheat, to skip out on the rules of the Christian life? What comes to my mind, uh, living in the 21st century here, is the scourge of health and wealth preachers that we have. Uh, popular Christian teachers, they sell a gospel that God wants to give you prosperity and ease. I think that's just cheating, right? It's like, it's just not following the rules that God has laid out for us. Now, I don't think many of us here are sending seed money in to word faith preachers hoping that we're going to get rich. I think we're discerning enough to realize, let's not go for that. But the only way that those health and wealth preachers can thrive in our culture, and they do thrive, is that millions of people respond to their message because there's something in our culture, in the very air we breathe, that makes that message attractive. So we may, not, we may reject that outright error, but we, we have to recognize that we breathe the same air, right? We share the same culture. And as evangelicals, I think we're tempted to believe a softer version of the same lie, that God wants me to be comfortable. Maybe not rich, 
but he wants me to be comfortable, free from illness or any physical pain, able to climb the corporate ladder. When I'm able to post good things on Instagram, when those things are going well, then God is blessing me. But Paul is telling Timothy, don't fall for that. As a preacher, don't dish it out. And as a church member, don't tolerate listening to it. That's not the road that lies before us. If you want to be crowned, you need to follow the rules. And that means share in the suffering that God has appointed and don't pervert the gospel for earthly gain. All right, so that's the second picture, the third and final picture. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. I don't think there's any farmers in our church. Is that true? Here we are in SoCal. I grew up in Minnesota. My, grand, my maternal grandfather was a hardworking farmer. He was a dairy farmer in northern Minnesota. Uh, he had a, a herd of uh, uh, cattle that he hand-milked uh, into his 70s, I believe. Um, and it's Minnesota. I mean, it's like crazy. It, you know, it's like get up in the morning and go hand-milk cows. So I, I remember as a young boy seeing his hands they were kind of swollen and a bit gnarled uh, with arthritis. He was a hardworking man. And uh, because, because of that hard work, he deserves the first share, which is the best portion when the harvest comes in. So I don't think I know anything about hard work like my grandfather knew. That was hard. And Paul is telling Timothy to not shirk when the work gets hard, but to embrace it. Because that's, it's then that the reward gets good. For Timothy, the hard work was in his church, dealing with factions, dealing with disagreements, dealing with heretics, uh, all, the, all the variety of people and problems that come with any congregation. That's where the work is, so embrace it, because that's where it, you, the reward will come. Maybe not in this life, but it will be rewarded. And for us, where is the hard work for us? Uh, just, it, it's in our homes. Think about when you have quarrels or difficulties in your home or bitterness over past wrongs, disappointments because someone, uh, some, someone failed you, when a husband fails to love you the way you want, when a wife fails to respect you the way you want, that's the work we were called to, to learn how to forgive just as we've forgiven, and we've been forgiven. That's hard work. To learn how to respect the husband who is flawed, but he's still your husband, or to learn how to love the wife who is flawed, but she's still your wife, and you promised to love and cherish her for the rest of your life. So be the hardworking farmer and trust that God will be your, rewo- your reward. And he says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray that God gives us understanding of these things. They're, they're difficult. All right, verse 8. Paul goes on and says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul tells Timothy and us to remember Jesus Christ. However difficult the road ahead is, Jesus has already traveled it. Remember that Jesus, he already suffered to the point of death, but he overcame death. He defeated sin and death through his resurrection. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us who believe. And this is how we're strengthened, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, by remembering what he did for us, that his life, death, and resurrection are at work in us right now to transform us, to give us hope. It, it gives us a power to let go of civil, civilian entanglements, to not run from the difficulty, 
but rather to embrace it. This is God's way of making a people that are pleasing to himself. And we're also to remember that in Jesus, all the promises and hopes of the Old Testament are being realized. He's the offspring of David, David's greater son. So if you were to go back in time when Paul was writing this letter, sitting in a Roman prison, uh, this great hope and victory that Paul has in mind would not be obvious. But there he is, he's in chains, he's like a common criminal. But Paul sees it differently. And he was right, wasn't he? The letter he wrote to Timothy was successful. The letter he wrote to Timothy, those, word, those words he was writing are here in front of us now. The word Rome is, go, is dead and gone. It's a ruin. But the word of God is still here. So the word of God is not bound. So Paul was able to see right through his present sufferings, and he focuses on the destination that lies before him. And he, and he, and he spells that out explicitly in the next verse, verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So this is our destination. It's the goal we're pressing for, a salvation of eternal glory that awaits us, God's chosen people. It's an eternal weight of glory that makes any, uh, any suffering in this, li- in this life a light and momentary affliction. It's a joy so immense It causes us to lay aside every encumbrance and just any shame that can be heaped upon you, you just despise it. It's a belonging and a fellowship so dear, we can say with the psalmist, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And this is what it means to know Christ Jesus. Without this, I don't think you can make sense of Paul's uh, uh, command to share in sufferings. But if you know Christ, if you see that you are a sinner saved by grace, and a grace that is found in Christ alone, received by faith alone, then these words give us the strength to endure anything and everything. All right, and that brings us to the final part of the passage. Paul introduces, he calls it a trustworthy saying or a faithful saying. It's four lines that Timothy and the the believers in Ephesus would have recognized. So let's read it. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. All right, so what does this mean? The first two lines, it's, so it's four lines, the first two lines are clearly an encouragement. All Christians were, are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. You can think of your baptism, a symbol of dying with Christ, being raised up with him. And then the second line uh, says, if we endure the hardship of of this life, not just uh, that we have have died with Christ, but that we go on dying to self and we endure, we will not only have eternal life, but we will reign with Christ. Christ was humbled and and then he was exalted. And we also will be exalted with him. And then there's the somber warning of the third line. Uh, If we deny him, he also will deny us. Paul is simply repeating the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. To deny Christ is to cut yourself off from his intervention at the last judgment. We all stand before the Father someday. We all will. 
And we will all have to either speak for ourselves or Christ will speak for us. And if we deny him and say, I don't know him, then he'll just speak the truth and say, I don't know you. I never knew you. And finally, there's the fourth line. So uh, this, this line might be a, a, a much beloved verse. Um, it turns out there's two ways to re- understand the verse, though. Uh, and you, you may have never seen this before. Uh, so let me uh, take a little time to point it out. Uh, so you could read the verse. It, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So one way you could understand the verse is that if we are faithless, then Christ or God will remain faithful to bless and save us anyway, in spite of our unfaithfulness. And if, if you pull those words out of the context, it's like, that's what you want it to mean, right? There is a second way to read it, which is, if we are faithless, then Christ or God will remain faithful to himself. He will remain faithful to deny those who deny him. So, uh, to be fair, commentators are a bit divided on this, but uh, the commentators I respect uh, take the second reading, and, uh, and they do it because of the context. So, I'd like to take a couple minutes to make a bit of a technical argument on this, on this point. Uh, if you like uh, grammar, poetry, I think you'll find it uh, interesting. If you don't, just hang on. So, all right, so uh, you start by just observing the immediate context, just, the, the, just write in the words themselves. So there's four hypothetical statements here, four if-then statements. And there's a pattern to the ifs and the thens. So the first two if, in the first two statements, the ifs are both good things. Uh, if we have died with him and if we endure, they're hard things, but they're good things. But the second two ifs are both bad things. Right? If we deny him, if we are faithless, that's, those are bad. There's also a pattern in the thens, in the consequence. The first two thens use the uh, uh, first-person plural pronoun, we. Uh, if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But notice the, the second two lines uses the third-person singular pronoun. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So this is a hint that the first two lines are a pair, and the second two lines are a pair. So you also see that the second line intensifies the meaning of the first line. Paul says something, and then he says it again with more intensity. So it's not just that we're going to live with him. We're going to reign with him. We don't just... Ha- we, it's not that we have died. We, en- we endure uh, ongoing. And that's a hint that the fourth line is intensifying the third line. If we deny him, he will deny us. That's just a plain repetition of what Jesus taught. But if we are faithless, if we do not believe, then he remains faithful. He will certainly deny us, for he cannot deny himself. And then finally, uh, I think the the greater context of the passage uh, demands this reading. Uh, We already talked in last week in the the, uh, end of chapter 1. Paul was dealing with people that were unfaithful, that had abandoned him. Next week... We're going to read about heretics in the church denying the resurrection. They're faithless. They're denying the faith. And just look down at verse 19, chapter 2, 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. So this is, this, God remains faithful. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So in the third line, Paul gives a stern warning that if we deny Christ, he will deny us. And in the fourth, he says, if we don't believe in Christ, if we don't acknowledge him at all, 
I think the right way to understand is that he, will be, he remains faithful. He will certainly deny us. Uh, he will deny those who deny him. All right, so what do we make of this? Uh, they're hard words. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, a person can lose their salvation. The Bible clearly teaches the eternal security of the believer, the perseverance of the saints. When Christ saves his people, he saves them completely. Nothing can snatch them out of his hand. But there are some who initially profess faith in Christ and later reject that faith altogether, which shows that they never really believed. A good example of this, Peter, uh, uh, Jesus told the apostle Peter, you are going to deny me three times. But Jesus also said to Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when Peter came back in repentance, it was evidence that his faith was genuine and it had not failed. And it was... And it didn't fail because Christ was faithful to pray for him. But Peter needed to hear the warning. God gives us stern warnings. He gives the, we, we see it here, we see it in a lot of other places in the Bible. To watch out, to not complacently slip into unbelief, thinking that repentance is unnecessary. And think back to my, my uh, road trip with Anya. And so we had this destination ahead of us, wanted to get to Abilene, uh, we, we, had, we had planned the thing out. We knew, we knew the road ahead of us. But that, the, the sober, that, that warning of danger, and for me as the dad, I was thinking about not falling asleep at the wheel. Every time we'd stop off at a Starbucks, I'd say, hey, Anya, do you want a Frappuccino? I want, I want her to enjoy the ride. I don't want her to fall. I really don't want her to fall asleep. I was thinking about, of, of that myself as well. So it's good to be thinking of those warnings. Uh, to be reminded of that. And Paul is giving Timothy a similar warning. The one thing you cannot do on the road ahead is to deny Christ or to fall into unbelief. That's the danger to avoid. And this isn't some self-effort. You know, Timothy, now you've been saved, but now you need to do the hard, you, you need to now earn or somehow deserve your salvation. It's actually the opposite. To stop trusting in Christ means to start trusting in yourself, right? And to deny Christ is to somehow have allegiance to some other God. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, whatever you do, don't do that. And then there's the last line. And it's, I, th I think it's the key line to the passage. It actually breaks the poetic rhythm. It says, for, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God remains faithful because it's in his very nature to remain faithful. It's so embedded in who God is that he's unable to do anything but remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. At the beginning of this saying, Paul introduces it as a trustworthy saying. It's actually the same word that he uses to describe God. It's a faithful saying, and God is faithful. And notice also in verse 11, the reasoning. He says the, the saying is trustworthy for or because, and then he gives the saying, which ends with, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So what Paul is saying is that this saying is faithful because God is faithful. Everything we believe as Christians, everything we're called to do is rooted in the nature and character of God. And this is something that is unique to Christianity. The ancient Greeks and Romans did not have a faithful God, right? They had gods that were fickle, arbitrary, and so what you tried to do was appease them. Offer, offer a sacrifice, make a vow, maybe you can turn them to your favor for a time. And I think our, the modern health and wealth gospel is a, is a variation of that, to try to get God's favor for what I, what I want for just a time. The God of Islam is not a faithful God. 
Muslims believe that he is a just God, and they hope that he's merciful, but they take no comfort from his faithfulness. There's no gracious promise or binding covenant where you can know with assurance that God has forgiven your sins and that God is for you. But we worship a faithful God. He remains faithful. He will not deny himself. And he's bound himself to us with many great promises. If we've died with him, we, we will live with him because we are with him. He has promised that we will reign with him and it's going to happen because he cannot deny himself. If we go back to the beginning of our passage, just look back at verse 1. You can actually see the faithfulness of God behind every command that Paul is giving to Timothy. Verse 1, we're called to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you actually get stronger? The Bible commands us to stand on God's promises, to boldly go into the, thro- into the throne of grace, to audaciously claim that we are God's people and he is our God to lay claim on his power and goodness, not because of any goodness in us, but because he made an oath. He will be gracious to us. The pagans, ancient and modern, can't do it. Uh, Muslims would never be so bold as to presume on God's favor, but Christians can say with Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's strong. Verse 2, we're called to entrust what we've learned to faithful men. But behind this, there's the promise of Jesus to grow his kingdom. Think of the parable of the mustard seed. It was going to start small. And here we are doing our small work. But the thing that, that gives us confidence is that God intends this to grow. And if he intends it, it's going to happen. Verse 3 and 4, we're called to share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. And God is the faithful commander. He's the commanding officer who enlisted us, and we're sure he knows how to win. So we make it our aim to please him. In verse 5, you see the athlete. He's relying on that judge or the emperor waiting at the finish line to give him a crown. God is the faithful and righteous judge who has laid up a crown of righteousness for Paul, the chief of sinners, and for all of us who have loved his appearing. And in verse 6, the hardworking farmer, he's relying on the rain and the sun to make his work fruitful. And God is the faithful creator. He will reward what is done in secret. Even a cup of cold water given in his name will not be forgotten. So everything we're called to do, anything we're called to believe, rests on the faithfulness of God to his people. So like my recent trip to Texas, God is calling Timothy and us to live the Christian life that's set out before us. The destination's glorious. It's everything we could hope for. The road ahead is difficult. We've been told we should expect suffering. And don't just expect it, but embrace it. But trust that God will surely be your reward. We need a power source. We can't get that on our own. We've been given incredible promises. We need to rely on them. And then finally, there's a sober warning. Watch out for unbelief. All around Timothy, there's people denying Christ, being unfaithful, Keep your eyes firmly fixed on the God who is faithful to keep all his promises. He'll surely keep his promises to us because he cannot deny himself. All right, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for who you are. You are a great and faithful God. Uh, How can we we make these bold claims that you are for us, that you you will give us strength the word of God is not bound. Uh, it's because 
of who you are. You are faithful to keep your promises. You cannot deny yourself. Thank you for Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.